0: Welcome to Managing Marketing, and today I'm joined by Chief Marketing Officer, John Chatterton, to talk about marketing and higher education. Welcome, John.
1: Thank you, Darren. Lovely to be here.
0: John, um, look, I'm really interested in the fact that you've got a, a terrific career and very senior roles, both in product and, uh, and now services marketing. But uh, obviously, a lot's happened in the last 10 years with marketing. And I'm wondering, what do you see the biggest challenges now facing senior marketers like yourself?
1: So I think there's a, a huge tension between the traditional way of marketing, where I was trained by the global FMCG companies, Um, and digital marketing, and there's a lot of of said by marketing pundits around Well, which way should we be focused and should we even refer to, to digital marketers. But I think there's also a lot forgotten, which is we're having this debate because we haven't actually made that change as an industry. Those who are actually marketers day to day are struggling, genuinely struggling to evolve from the traditional approach of marketing to be fully digitally orientated. And that's why we continue to have this debate about which is more important.
0: Yeah, no, I just noticed um, recently, you know, we've had Coca-Cola who raced out into uh, digital marketing and content marketing, and now it's almost like they've pulled right back to the traditions and re-examine what they've been doing because almost, the, you know, the rushing into embracing these areas without really integrating it uh, has not paid off for them. Is, it, is that sort of what you're talking about? I think
1: absolutely because we were all trained by the big global companies to, to market one way, especially product marketers. Mm. And then digital came along, and we felt a need to experiment. And Coca-Cola were a great example of their 2020 approach. Yep. And they were put money aside just to try things and see if it worked. And I think a lot of marketers feel that way. We see a new bit of technology come along um, and, and a new approach. And we think, well, we need to give that a go. But we don't really know whether it fits with our strategy or not. We don't know if it's going to work. And so people are experimenting. And I think now increasingly, having had time to experiment, are coming back to say, well, those experiments aren't really delivering. Mm. You see Mark Ritson challenging even content marketing in its entirety as to whether it's relevant. Yeah. That's probably a bit extreme, but it's a good example of where people are questioning um, what what they've actually been experimenting with.
0: Yeah, look, I'm, I'm a big fan of experimentation. I have a science background, um, but... I think it's a it, it can be a slippery slope, can't it? Because you know you can start off saying, well, I'm going to experiment here, but unless you bring a sort of rigor or framework to that experimentation, it can quickly become like a shopping basket of all the things I should do. Because you know we've seen recently, uh, uh, virtual reality and augmented reality are the new things, and you know suddenly you're doing that, and you're still doing your experiment on social media and how Snapchat filters going and. You know, How do you, from a, a, you know, a, a CMO perspective, give some rigour or structure to that experimentation?
1: Well, I think that, that is exactly the challenge, is that on a day-to-day basis you have a marketing team, and obviously a CMO leading it, who are trying to achieve a certain objective. And I think that the key bit to remember is, as a CMO, you really have to have a strong strategy. You have to know what good looks like, what success looks like, what those metrics look like, those few important KPIs so that you can cascade that down into, for example, digital. I think the the key for me is very much about making sure that you stay focused on having a clear understanding of who is your audience. Have you segmented them? Are you targeting the right people? Do you have a clear strategy about what your audience is currently thinking and what you want to think, Mm -hmm. what you want them to do? And you have to have all of that well before you get into your tech stack, start talking about technologies or talking about influencer campaigns. If you have that right, then hopefully you can cascade your strategy, your objectives, your few KPIs for your marketing strategy through to, well, what does that mean for an influencer strategy on social media?
0: Yeah. It's so easy, isn't it, to be distracted by implementation and overlook this, you know, the important role that strategy has in the first place because it's really strategy that informs the implementation. And yet, from my perspective, I see a lot of marketers are so caught up in managing all of the different moving parts of implementation, it's almost like strategy's been forgotten. Well, there's just so much to do. You can get so busy.
1: Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the top three social posts for universities in Australia this year were sunset photos of their campuses. <laughs> right, that's great they were the most engaging poster out there by far Yeah, is that on strategy is that something that university teams should be spending time doing Yeah, you know, I think you have to question these things and say well we have a strategy are we working hard to achieve it or have we been seduced by new opportunities yeah. and is that what we're spending our time doing and I think we need to be very careful about staying anchored in the strategy and the KPIs and the, the segmentation the targeting we're going with And then at the very last point, looking at the channels we use to communicate with our audiences. And at that point, well, which is better for Mm. us? And yes, a bit of experimentation is good, so long as you evaluate it. Yeah, that's right. How many people experiment and don't evaluate (laughs) it? And then you go, oh, did that that influencer campaign go well? And they go, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Or, or the other one is suddenly um, you get some, you know, especially a specialist supply. You know these rosters that we see with hundreds and hundreds of specialist agencies. And and if you actually bothered to trace back, it was like, oh well, we thought we'd do an experiment in. Um, uh, I don't know, Snapchat filters. So we got someone in that knew about it. And suddenly, you know, we spent more and more. And suddenly that $10,000 is now 100000 is now half a million dollars on Snapchat or social media. And we're not really sure what's contributing to delivering our objectives. Now, that's completely losing sight of the strategy.
1: Absolutely. I mean, in the, in the, in the good old days of traditional media, it was just reach and frequency. And we'd talk about a bit of continuity and that would be the focus of the conversation. Now, to your point, we could be running an open day university and we've got the website, we've got digital advertising, we've got buses, um, we've got Snapchat filters, All everything costs money. Mm. So, and the amount of money isn't going up. And to be honest, neither should it. I mean, marketing is, marketing budget's always been how long is your piece of string? And marketers, good marketers, should be able to demonstrate more money leads to more return. If you can't even manage and measure what you're doing, Mm. how on earth can you demonstrate that more money would give a bigger return? So it's important to keep things simple, controlled, focus on the strategy, and take the time at the end of it to do the evaluation, report back what worked, so that next time you can optimize and enhance.
0: So you're um, you're almost uh, training through these consumer, you know, the classical consumer goods companies were all about segment strategy, segmentation, engagement, and the objective was always to increase margin or maintain margin and market share, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it is about um, product sales to some degree, and then also obviously developing the brand. So reach and engagement were, were key around the, the brand and, and attributes. People f- quite often forget that now. You look at social media; it's all about well, how, how what reach have you got? What level of engagement have you got? Is anyone really tracking what people think about what they've seen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it quite often gets forgotten. The same about the website. We will track M um, P S. We'll track whether people managed to complete the task they were looking for. We'll track whether it was quick and easy. Mm. Will we track what they thought about the experience yeah. they had? No, too many questions, so we haven't got time for that. <laughs> so you know, th- things start, the, the basics I think are slipping as everyone focus on the new shiny um, digital opportunities. Yeah. Um, and marketeers, there aren't that many more of us now. There's really no more money for a lot of organizations. That's been flat. So all these new things we have to do come at the opportunity cost of having less time to spend on strategy, less time to spend on evaluation. Mm. And it's becoming a real time crunch for marketeers now.
0: Do you think it's also because, um, you know, and and I know you're aware of the the shortening of the CMO tenure, you know, I think it's down to 22 months, I, I read recently. Do you think it's because there is this real emphasis on activity, almost, being busy and doing lots of things? over results, because really, in 22 months, it would be very hard to show a significant increase unless you had some magic pudding, wouldn't it?
1: You know, Even with the, the best agile marketing approaches in the world where we can get stuff done really quickly, um, and let's be honest, how many organisations are really doing a great job at delivering that mm. in a quality way? But even with that, it takes time to do things. If you're really going to set off and develop a clear strategy that's informed by great consumer or customer insights, um, and that may require research, which takes that stage even longer. Mm. Then make the change. Then do the activity. Then track it back. Like how many cycles of that are you going to get done within 22 months? Mm. The opportunity to really deliver quite often takes longer, especially if you need to change team structures, recruit new people, develop new skills in the team, put in new processes. 22 months is a phenomenally short amount of time to really start something and see it through to the end and really know mm. whether it's worked or not and have the chance to optimize it and learn from your uh, from your first round of activity.
0: Yeah, so being out there and doing lots of things perhaps is a, uh, a good cover mm. for the fact that you're not really going to have that much time to actually deliver real results against a set of uh, objectives or KPIs.
1: I think, unfortunately, um, business in Australia at a leadership level is very much getting this, people protecting their position. Mm. You know, how many people get in and after a year think, well, we'll do a restructure. Are they doing it because there needs to be a restructure? Are they doing it because that buys time? Mm. Same with changing agencies. You know, that was always the old way of doing it. We'll blame the agency, we'll get a new agency, now we need to give them time. Yeah. And it gives the marketing leader time. So I think that there is um, an issue now with the tenure of marketing leaders coming down and down that it forces them to take negative behaviors rather than as you act in the long-term best interests of the organizations they represent.
0: I met in London a, um, a, a senior marketer, and his whole career he's taken contracts rather than appointments. And the reason he did that is he said he would take a two or three year contract that was, if they wanted to terminate it, it would cost them a large amount of money, but he wanted security of having a particular period of time, and it was all about his performance around delivering those numbers. OK, because he said the worst thing that can happen to a marketer is you get so caught up in the politics mm. of the company that you actually stopped from being effective as a marketer because you've got to be concerned about you know everyone's feelings by driving actually the activities that the brand requires to reach the objective. What do you think about that idea of a, being a contractor rather than an employee of the company?
1: I I think it's a a very interesting solution to the problem. I mean, a lot of CMOs spend a lot of their time caught up being the internal stakeholder manager, like a group account director for internal stakeholders Um, and spend a lot of time having to balance um, keeping stakeholders happy with actually doing the right thing for the organisational brands or products. Mm. Um, And there quite often is a a contrast and a conflict. Um, And I think that's something that needs to be carefully managed. How often have marketeers been asked by the MD to play some advertising or do some activity because someone on the executive or the board or, the, mm. or a board member's wife, even you know, shops in that area really likes that activity. You know, doesn't see any of the campaign and would really like to see it themselves. Um, it's very frequent, mm. so I think the idea of being able to remove yourself from that pressure and focus on just getting on
0: and doing a great job for the organisation is, is is a
1: really interesting idea.
0: Because I, I like the um, the fact that the strongest word. A a marketer can use is no, right? The easiest thing in the world to say is yes, 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 you will do all that. But in actual fact, it's much more powerful to say no, we're not doing that. Because in actual fact, that goes straight to what a good strategy is about, is what not to do so that you can focus on being really good at the things that you have to do. So as you said, you know, uh, almost separating yourself from being at the whim of the, you know, the uh, not just your employer, your direct report, but the whole organisation as to whether you're doing a good job or not. Your good job as a marketer is actually something that's incredibly measurable. You know, it is EBIT, it's, it's uh, uh, being a, at a premium to market, it's increasing market share. These are all very tangible business metrics. And yet so often you hear about marketers that are basically, on someone's opinion, they've underperformed. And yet all the numbers are actually going in their favour.
1: I, I personally think um, that business moves in cycles and that marketing will come full circle soon. Mm. And the, the distraction, if you like, from the, the plethora of digital opportunities um, will eventually come full circle back to a focus on core strategy, core KPIs, and what are we actually trying to do here. Mm. Because this level, and maybe your, your example at the beginning with, with Coke is, is a good demonstration, maybe we're starting to turn that corner that we can't continue to be seduced by doing lots of new things. Marketing teams can't bring on the 50th agency with a new technology and try and integrate that with the other 49 they've already got because it does something new and funky. Um, It's just not manageable. Mm. The number of people in a marketing team, the size of a marketing budget isn't going up. And eventually we'll have to get back to focusing on fewer, bigger, better activities. And to do that, we'll need to have a really great strategy to help us prioritize. Mm. And I think the focus will eventually come back when people realise that while digital is really exciting and can do some amazing things incredibly cost-effectively, there is also a massive distraction by focusing on the digital part of marketing and forgetting the marketing part of marketing. Mm,
0: Absolutely. I want to change uh, direction a little bit here because one of the things, and, and I really want to sit down and have this conversation, because of your experience in both a services marketing, more recently, and also product marketing, And and my belief is that as marketing is moving towards customer experience and taking responsibility for coordinating the whole of customer experience, there's going to be an increasing difference between product marketing where you're basically taking a product to market, but you don't necessarily get to influence the whole of the customer experience because often there's retailers and then the consumer is going to be interacting with the product way outside of your Influence, whereas services marketing, where the the product, the value is actually in the experience, is going to be something that potentially marketers are going to have a lot more influence over every aspect of the customer experience. So, from your experience, do you you see what are the similarities? What are the principles that you take through both? But what are the differences?
1: So for me, the key difference between product and service marketing is the management of the life cycle. Mm-hmm. So with, <coughs> with services marketing, there's like acquisition, retention, and development, um, etc. That isn't something you tend to get in the product marketing world. Mm-hmm. And product marketing honestly would benefit from that approach because it does apply. People do, you are constantly trying to acquire new customers in product marketing and you want to develop them, be it into more products from the same brand, etc. And ultimately you want to save them if they want to try and leave to to go to maybe a cheaper alternative like something at Aldi. Mm-hmm. So the principles of services marketing very much apply to product marketing. The other way around, I think what I find in services marketing is that it can benefit from the rigor around the segmentation, the targeting and the positioning that, um, product marketers um, learn typically mm-hmm. from the, the, the big firms and so that I think is the key thing to take in ultimately I think the customer journey is becoming more and more important this experience be a product or a service is really what people remember mm. um, and what becomes the cornerstone of the of the brand um, whether it is your experience with using the product or purchasing the product um, or not and I think I, th- I can see that as the key trend being everyone, product or services, really focusing on managing the customer experience understanding that better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, because, you know, again, you brought up the point about strategy. Uh, it's so vitally important to have a clearly articulated strategy aligned to your business and marketing objectives before you even start looking at your implementation.
1: Yeah. And, you, you know, you've, and if you take the customer journey, you've got to understand it. Mm. You've got to understand where you're going to put your money. Where's the focus? Are you spending all your money on acquiring or developing or retaining? Um, it's important to understand that. And that's only ever going to come from having a clear strategy and one that is informed by really strong insight and understanding about what's happening with your customers mm. and their time with your product or service.
0: Now, most recently, you've been working in higher education, and that's a category that is undergoing transformation, isn't it? Massive transformation.
1: I think it's been very stable and very traditional for a long time, um, and for a number of reasons um, is having to change now very quickly, um, and is challenged by a number of key drivers for that. Um, We're seeing employers becoming increasingly restless with what they see as the skills graduates are being taught at university. And a lot of discussion around whether you even need a degree now in the, in the new digital economy um, and whether the skills students are being taught are relevant. At the same time, students are having to pay more and more money to subsidize the cost of their fees. So they're becoming far more aware of that and kind of challenging themselves say, well, should I invest that money in a university course or should I just start straight in um, to a graduate program with someone?
0: Mm. And at the same time, um, there are uh, the marketers within higher education are facing the same challenges with you know diversification of channels and tight budgets or limited budgets and those things as well. So you've almost got a perfect storm in some ways in that particular category.
1: Well, absolutely. So, so universities, I think most people would assume that it's all about just recruiting students, and that's all they really need to do, and that. Do marketing teams at a university really need to do much work because everyone knows the local university and everyone knows they can go there? So, what's the work for the, the, the university marketing team? But actually, there's a lot of um, variety of work in a university marketing team. You've got the, the B2C, you've also got the B2B. Mm. So, universities rely on a lot of their funding from corporate sponsorships, um, from internship programs, from being able to introduce um, students to companies um, for when they graduate for careers, etc., and work. Um, so there's a big B2B component, and there's also a B2G component, the business to, to government. Mm. Um, and so for a university, the marketing strategy needs to encompass all of that. Mm. Is it gonna spend its million dollars on um, advertising to um, new students, to current students to stay more, to businesses to partner and donate more, to other organizations to partner and develop its research profile? Um, is it gonna focus on communicating about the research it does? which typically drives the brand reputation, or indeed to attract students and make sure they're aware of what the the university does in terms of its offer, or indeed develop the offer. Mm. Um, So it's far more varied um, than, I guess, at a first glance might make you consider. Um, And certainly the the number of people and the teams and the budgets aren't going up, so having a strong strategy is required to say, well, how much money are we going to spend on all the things we could do um, to select the few that we are actually going to do?
0: Uh, one of the uh, one of the trends that we've seen talking to a number of different uh, tertiary institutions is this belief that you know data student data um, alumni data that data is the solution to all their marketing um, issues and in actual fact, uh, it concerns me because I think it's almost trying to uh, uh, focus this the problem and the solution around a very one-dimensional view because in actual fact, you know, marketing is a much broader view. You know, there's reputation, there's brand as part of, you know, reputation management. There's a whole lot of other things other than data alone.
1: Look, you're, you're absolutely right. Pretty much every universe in the country right now is developing a, a data strategy and trying to look at how it integrates its data. Um, all the way from the recruitment and acquisition campaigns where people might visit your website or your social media page or come to an event. How do we develop a single view of that customer during that recruitment process? Current students, what are they doing while they're with you? There's lots of things they can do at university. Do we have a, an aligned view of what they're doing socially and academically while at university? To then help when they become alumni, inform us of what they did so we can actually target alumni communications. The logic of it makes a huge amount of sense. But back to my very first kind of opening remarks, it's not that the marketing teams at universities don't want to do that, they feel an incredible pressure. Um, They hear about personalization, how personalization is what has to happen. So you know, a university might have 40,000, 50,000 students, um, current students at any one time. How do you personalize for that? Mm. Um, When you're speaking to maybe 300,000 in the the acquisition funnel every year, you need 40,000 a year, and then you've got an alumni of a couple hundred thousand. Um, how do you integrate all those many different sources of data, which historically have been managed by small groups within the university, mm. to create that single view of the customer? And back to my, my key focus, which is, and even if you had that single view of the customer, what would you do with it? Mm. If you don't have a strategy and objective first, if you haven't outlined what it is, what are the segmentation you're going to bring to this this big single view of the customer, what are you going to do with it? Um, if the two of us down and go to the, the homepage of the website, Um, What are we going to see that's different? Mm. And why is that going to be materially important and so much more engaging and influential on us that it's worthwhile the effort that can be measured in dollars to create that difference? Mm. If we haven't worked that out up front, why are we spending years and millions of dollars aligning all the data to deliver something that we don't even know what we'll do with that capability when we get it?
0: Yeah. Again, it's like, um, oh, we need to understand our uh, our customer or student base. So data is the way to do it. But as you say, what's the objective? What's the strategy that we need to implement to deliver that objective? And how do how do we actually integrate this across all of the? You know, the university I went to, the only reason I'm on their alumni list was I actually went to the website and signed up. They had no idea that I was a student, I actually had to provide them all the information about who I was and when I went there and what I did, um, because they didn't know who I am. But
1: now, even, even if you provided them a very rich profile,
0: what are they really doing with it? Nothing. and, and, th- and <laughs> I just re- get all the emails. <laughs> no, Every <and> month <laughs> I get an email telling me what's going on.
1: And they realise the issue, because they probably don't have... Um, either that the detailed understanding and the strategy or indeed maybe the resources mm. to really deliver anything close to segmented Communication let alone personalized communication for you. Mm. And that really is is the big issue around personalization Everyone's trying to rush to deliver personalization mm. Without realizing that just a couple of steps early on in terms of segmentation audiences might actually have a big impact and might be meaningful. You know if you're a law student from a university you're really interested in what physics students did mm. No. So that level of personalization if you
0: like. Except, except I've got a science degree and now I work in marketing and advertising. So, you know, I've, I guess even with all that data, they're confused about who I am.
1: And I will guarantee you now that there's probably the stretch about what they're looking to encourage you to do mm. with them yeah. is also a bit muddy as well. So, you know, alumni is a great opportunity to say, well, we're going to spend a lot of money on engaging our alumni. Yeah. But to what end? To, yeah. What's the objective? So, so back to the strategy part, why do we want to engage alumni? If it's to donate money, to, most donations from alumni come from very few people, mm. as in the, the monetary amount. Lots of people do, donate a very small amount, but very few people donate the big amount of money. Yeah. It'd be
0: far better just to focus on those few people. It's not the US where you get a whole library built by one family.
1: Well, the, the, but there have been instances of that here in you know, yeah. in Australia, but it, but
0: it you it's know it's one in a million.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. rare.
0: Mm-hmm. It's rare. Um, so, what um, specifically? What do you see as the biggest challenges facing the category, and especially from a marketing perspective, in the next two or three years?
1: Th- there, are, there are a couple. I think one is very much bringing the the customer. Um, into the centre of the decision making at the university. Mm-hmm. Um, a number of universities don't like to refer to students and their experience at university as a customer experience. And because they don't like to do that, um, it, it, they don't manage it. Mm. And so a lot of the decisions day to day, in terms of new courses, course development, investments in facilities, etc., are being made without any consultation of what the actual customer um, wants or would prefer. Mm. Um, so I think there's a real opportunity for marketing in the future and universities to, pr- to bring that customer focus in um, and provide the university with clear insights about what their students actually want moving forward and enable the university to develop its customer experience and the satisfaction that drives with students. Mm. So I think that's, that's very much one. I think the other one is similarly with, with corporates. I think we're going to see a strengthening of this concern that companies have that graduates are being taught the skills they need. There are now far more graduates or students going to university and hence graduating than there ever used to be. And so to some degree, the fact that you are a graduate is now worth less than it used to be. Mm. That's a table stake. We're now looking for actual skills. So what students really want when they go to university is from the day they start to start building a magical CV that makes them stand out from all other students that's what they want from day one. Mm -hmm. So great internships, great work experience, great exposure to um, industry um, leaders rather than academics who haven't worked in industry for the last decade. Um, And so universities will need to focus on delivering that or they risk, for example, big companies like Google or McKinsey partnering maybe with a private provider to actually provide the Google degree. Now, would you rather go to Sydney or UNSW and do an IT degree, or would you rather go to a private provider and do the Google degree, knowing that so long as you hit certain grades, you're going to get an internship, you're going to be exposed to Google executives, um, and you're going to get the latest thinking and graduate with what would be a great degree. Mm-hmm. That could easily be done tomorrow. So I think you know if employers don't get the graduates with the skills they want from universities, because universities have been too slow to evolve their offer, there's every opportunity they'll partner with someone to get what they want.
0: And that raises a really interesting point from my perspective, which is the brand, okay, and especially university brands. Because, you know, it, you just say university, and I'm sure there's some universities that immediately pop into your head as brands because they're, they're top of mind. Even if you're not in the, working in the category, they just exist, you know, in in the sort of, popular culture. Um, but, you know, they've been very stable as well. You know, there's been some new universities, let's say over the last 10 to 20 years or 30 years, but it's the older universities that have had these enduring brands. You know, and, and let's just talk overseas rather than, you know, like the Harvards and the Oxfords and the, you know, the Yales. These are brands that have endured for hundreds of years, which is unusual because we now live, in a world where brands are inclined to, you know, not survive the maturity debate. I think it was 82% of the uh, top 100 businesses on the US stock exchange in 1955 are no longer there. So only 12% have survived since 1955. And you know, you brought up Google, we've got all these brands that have popped up in the last 20 years. Um, What's the role for brand in tertiary education? And how can universities and the marketers be leveraging that harder than just focusing around data and and customisation or personalisation?
1: So the role of the brand has been and today continues to be critical. So it's a very confusing world as a student choosing where to go to get your degree or indeed for an employer knowing exactly what a degree covered. Um, You could look at say I want to do an IT degree. Um, What's the difference between what is actually taught in IT at the five universities in Sydney? Mm. It's very hard for a future student who hasn't started yet, or indeed an employer, to know that. So the proxy is therefore the brand. Um, And that's why the brands have endured, because um, 10, 20 years ago, it wasn't so much even what degree you got, it was the fact you just got a degree from a well-known institution. That institution was very selective in who it let in. And so if you manage to get in, doesn't really matter what you did, then you're clearly an accomplished individual, and to an employer, that's very appealing. Mm. Increasingly though, graduates are looking to get a degree that will get them a job, and internships are becoming increasingly important to get that work experience, and to get that CV working really hard before they graduate. Mm. At the same time, employers are very much looking for certain skills. They found that um, accounting students who graduate don't really have the skills they need to hit the ground running as an accounting graduate in a big four firm. Mm. Um, so, why is that? Why can't they have graduates actually graduate with the key skills? So, that tension, I think, is going to change things. And so, certainly, the likes of Oxford and Harvard are not under threat anytime soon. But there is going to be an increasing pressure from employers and students to um, have work ready graduates. Mm -hmm. And those institutions that understand what that means better than others and actually develop courses to offer that and partnerships to offer that are probably the ones that are going to be more successful moving forward. And those universities that stay offering the same course and the same degree they did 10, 20 years ago are more likely to be the ones that end up getting left behind.
0: That's a, that's a, a market pressure that's incredibly disruptive to the academic structure that exists within many of these organisations, isn't it? Because it's putting a market pressure on the delivery of the educational outcome.
1: Well, disruption has already struck um, the university world in terms of the uh, massive online courses, the MOOCs. You can now, at a very free or low cost, um, go to... A Website and download a course and and take that online from a well-known Institute Now the issue with that is that model isn't working very well There's very few of us who naturally learn at our best sat in front of a computer for hours on end And so the completion rate of those courses is just in the single digits, right? But somebody soon will realize that the academic model can be changed and that taking that great learning start point and then backing it up with in-person support will actually get you a great outcome Mm. at very low cost. Get employers what they're looking for in terms of skills. Give students what they're looking for in terms of the experiences at a lower cost than they're being charged at the moment. And I think that disruption will shake things up significantly. So I think we're getting there. I think higher education has been slower than most industries to be transformed. Mm. But the makings for a transformation are very much on the horizon. And I think those institutes that are spending billions of dollars building buildings for students to sit in and be taught are not reading the signs that are already in the market that students don't want that. They want flexibility. They want to be able to learn when they're available to learn, perhaps at home, um, supported by peers and quality peers as they see it um, in their community. And that the old structure of having to go into a university physically for your lecture and then go home and go back in for mm. tutorials, etc., isn't something that's going to be popular with students um, in 10, 20 years.
0: It'll be disrupted by the technology. It's a, it's a fascinating category because it is a services industry, but the traditions of it have made it almost uh, ignore the very basic business model that exists underneath it. In fact, in some ways, uh, the business model has been anathema to the way it's been delivered until now.
1: Yeah. And there's very and if, you, if you speak to academics and, and um, vice chancellors, um, you'll get two very clear schools of thought. Some yeah. who think that um, the tradition around universities will protect them moving forward in 10, 20 years, mm. and others who believe that the model will break soon, and that you know those universities are far more agile um, and cons- customer-focused will be the ones that, that survive.
0: It's interesting because it'll be whether it happens around by brand, i.e. university brand, or whether it happens actually by the industry vertical, you know, because some uh, industry verticals like law and accounting may be seen as being more traditional and others like IT and, and technology may be embracing the change sooner. It'll be interesting to see which the horizontal or the vertical actually drives the change.
1: But if you take industry verticals, and this is why I think universe, the, the pace as the pace of change in industry increases, mm. universities will need to respond eventually. Uh, law and accounting are two prime examples where digital disruption is rapidly coming to those kind okay. of industries. The, the view is in those industries that your legal needs, for example, will be increasingly automated. Mm. Um, and the same with accounting. Audit. Mm-hmm. Um, the very cornerstone of the big four accounting firms is likely to be automated and disappear in the next 10 years. Yeah. So therefore, what are we teaching our accounting students? Yeah. What are we teaching our law students? We already have an issue where there are too many law graduates every year for the number of law jobs and the number of law jobs is likely to decrease over time as that industry is increasingly automated. The same with accounting. Mm. Either universities need to change the structure of the course. Um, and make it more relevant for those industries today and the future or indeed those courses are going to get left behind along with those parts of the industry. Mm. So disruption is absolutely coming. The pace of change for for universities is only going to get faster and faster and faster and for organizations that typically aren't very agile, as you said, very traditional um, in the way they approach the world um, and quite slow to, to change, quite slow to react It's going to be very interesting as to how these market forces affect universities, even the big university brands, but certainly the small ones, over the next few years.
0: Mm. John, fascinating, and love catching up. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Darren. Um, Just uh, one final question. On the basis that those that can do and those that can't teach, do you think there'll ever be a time that we will see you as Professor of Marketing, like, say, Mark Ritson...